0: Buongiorno listeners and welcome to slow motion triple feature (laughs) a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks each month a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss slow motion triple feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I'm your host Mike Keller and I'm joined today by my good friends Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we're starting off Andrew's Andrew Moon's Kit and Only Kit, Triple Feature, with 1987's Moonstruck. No. I'm sorry? No. Did I
1: I, I get something wrong? It's Andrew Moon's Mike and maybe a little bit Kit.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Okay. My apologies. Yeah. Uh, Tonight, we are starting off Andrew's Andrew Moon's Mike and Kit, Triple Feature, with 1987's Moonstruck, directed by Norman Jewison, and starring Cher and Nicolas Cage. All right, how you guys doing today?
1: Good, good, Pretty- good. <laughs> fine. I, re- I feel like I
0: just talked for like five minutes.
1: I also realized that like right before we started recording, I was talking about how shitty I feel, and now I'm lying to the listeners. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's one I thing also we have feel here: it's honesty.
0: Okay, I feel fine. I got a decent sleep, although I was up very late. I, I'm having a hard time. Uh, this this will mean nothing to the listeners because the episode will be weeks and weeks from now, but. um I'm having a hard time, like, looking away from the news, right now.
1: Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I was just
0: up, up late watching videos people were posting them, all that. But we don't
1: need to get into that because mm-hmm. by the time this episode airs, that'll have been months in the past. So mm-hmm. by the time, by the time that this episode airs, there'll be a new social media platform. Uh, <laughs> some there will be some new stupid thing that Donald Trump mm-hmm. said. There will be mm-hmm. some new thing that everybody will be angry about, and mm-hmm. we can talk about that.
2: Exactly. We might be extinct, or we'll all be oof, dead. Oof.
1: <laughs> Let's just hope we get to watch a few more movies first.
2: Yeah,
0: no kidding. No,
2: and record kidding. ourselves talking about them. Of course,
0: uh-huh. that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Well, so Andrew, because this was this is starting off your triple. Um, yeah. Had you seen this film
1: before? I have seen it before. So I okay. Um, I had only seen. I had, this was one of those movies that I always knew was good, but it was still like one of those movies that I'd only seen in chunks on TV until maybe, and Kit and I used to talk about it all the time, um, mm-hmm. but, but I, I don't think I'd ever like sat down, popped it in and watched it all the way through until maybe like a year ago, maybe two. Uh, and yeah, I love, I love this movie. I think it's really, really good. I think this, yeah. this movie, to me, it makes it makes the way Kit and I talk about relationships and love uh, more romantic than the way <laughs> Kit and I talk about relationships <laughs> and love, you know? Uh, uh-huh. It's the way, see, you know, I, I think, I can't remember what episode, maybe it was Titanic or something, or uh, Jerry Maguire we were talking about, um, uh, we were talking about how, you know, like, I didn't really believe their relationship uh, and then in a lot of like romantic comedies, like I have a I have an issue with people like falling in love in in, in 24 hours or whatever. But in mm-hmm. this movie, when Nicolas Cage tells Cher that he loves her, like I at the very least I believe him, <laughs> mm-hmm. like no <laughs> question about it. And then when he yeah. when he gives when he gives that speech to her uh, outside Ugh. his apartment after the opera, like oh my god! I mean there the line. So
2: many good speeches.
1: There's so many good speeches the uh the whole script has like this amazing cadence to it that feels like a little bit, you know, magical but also not, you know, not divorced from reality uh and just i don't know everybody's so smart and insightful mm-hmm. you know everybody gets a everybody gets a moment even danny ayello <laughs> yes. gets a, gets gets that's this. what i
2: said <laughs> It's like the movie somehow has time for everyone mm-hmm. and loves everyone. And they're all smart. They're all funny. Mm-hmm. They're all like, there's a lot. Anyway, we'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of characters, and the movie is an hour and 40 minutes, and mm-hmm. you get to know all of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I love this movie.
0: Okay. And Kit, you would, did you have any other introductory thoughts on it? You'd, you'd clearly seen it before.
2: Yeah. I think. Oh, God! I was really worried watching it last night. I was like, I might cry like through the entire episode. I don't know. like I' cause it's just i I might have to start saying that this is my number one favorite movie. Hmm. I definitely think it's so I you think it's, so
1: you would you would unseat Rise of Skywalker.
2: Yeah, okay, <laughs> well, if I'm allowed to, I would like if <laughs> Rise of Skywalker has to be. People don't know me. They're not going to know <laughs> what that means. So
0: I can explain to the listener. Uh, there was some sort of blood oath Kit took that if, uh, and I won't spoil it, but if two certain characters did one certain thing in that film, <laughs> that she would say it was her favorite. Uh, and so she actually mm-hmm. holds Star Wars in as low of regard as any normal person should. <laughs> but she's obligated to say that she doesn't.
2: Uh, but I do love Rise of Skywalker. Um. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that this is a perfect film. I think it could be the most perfect film I know of. And I absolutely think it's the most perfect screenplay that I know. Um, and I have like, I do want to talk about my introduction to this movie because I think it's one of my most formative film memories and i also read the screenplay last night um my like, god
1: <laughs> what time did well you to, we stop playing video games at freaking uh 12 your time
2: yeah and i Here. watched the movie and then i read and then i read the screenplay and read the news a lot too um for the
1: for the, for the listeners kid is trying to rub the sleep out of her eyes right now <laughs> Yeah.
2: <laughs> um but I remember watching this movie. We were still in our condo, <laughs> um, which means I was probably like six ish. Um, and it was we were in my mom's bedroom on her bed with my mom. I don't remember if Sydney was there or not. Um, and like the room was all dark and I had like a tin, uh, like one of those Christmas tins of like three different kinds of popcorn which I'd never had before or since, but it was like, oh wow, this was, this is a great idea. Uh, (laughs) And, um, I knew that my mom loved the movie and like my memory is like, that my mom was like, you should watch this. Uh, (laughs) And I'm sure I didn't really like, I don't think I could have really understood the movie, but like somehow I like loved it. And like, felt that kind of like how painfully romantic it was like even when I was like six years old um and like I've also realized over the last several years that I'm deeply suggestible when it comes to my mom like I remember every single thing she's ever said to me like and I (laughs) like every opinion that she had or like taste preference that she would express I would sort of like automatically adopt except for like scary movies I could never do that um but like, obviously she's also like 100% correct about this movie. Um, and I just like, I don't know, I was trying to remember last night, like what was the feeling? Cause like, like I, I remember when the guy, when um, the brother set talks about, it's Cosmo's moon. Like I remember seeing that as a kid and probably feeling like I'm gonna cry watching this, but like, I don't know why. <laughs> um, and I think Cher's hair was like a really big part of the fascination. Like her hair is so amazing in the movie. Um, But it was just like a really big moment of like uh, falling in love with movies, romance, share, and like cheddar popcorn, like at the same all in one moment. Um, And like, just like, wow, like that, like media can be this beautiful, and like my mom can tell me what's good and what's not good. Um, And it's just like truly one of the most perfect not just movies, but like things that I know of, I think like as a work of art, it's so unimpeachable and beautiful and miraculous and like, and that's so much harder for a movie to be than for like a work of art, like a, just like a painting or a song or something because like a lot more people had to be really doing a good job. Um, and I tried to like, I I also think like it, like every line is so quotable. And I started writing down what the good lines are. And I almost wrote out like the entire script because like every line is so fucking funny and great. And ugh. anyway, I, this is like the best movie of all time. In my opinion. All
1: right, Mike, let's have it.
0: (laughs) Well, I hate it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, so I had never seen it before. This is the first time I'd seen it. Um, I have heard you guys rave about it mm-hmm. and so I think also two other romantic comedies that Kit is a big fan of are You've Got Mail and When Harry Met Sally. And so I was expecting it to be like more along the lines of that. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. which it has I do see there's lots of overlap. Um like very lovable characters, really well written um and all that. But this was so Like it had such kind of like a shuffling feel to it. Like Mm -hmm. it was like romance is like the last thing on anybody's mind in a way. And they're all kind of just like, ah, it's stupid and all that type of stuff. (laughs) Um, So it had such an interesting, um, there's such a unique um, tone or approach to Mm -hmm. romance for a romantic comedy. Um, And so it took like really like until, let's see. I would say for, I don't know, for the first two acts, I was like, this is like, this is not what I was expecting. It's funny. Like, I'm, I'm definitely like laughing at moments, but like, I don't really understand what the approach of this movie is. Uh, and then in the, the, basically the end where they are all in the kitchen and it's like, everybody is there and just very, I don't know, kind of quickly resolving their or not quickly resolving, but like, um, like the, the pieces fall in place for every Mm -hmm. character. Uh, I really like that. And I was like, oh, I kind of get it. And I feel like if I were to watch it again, which I didn't have time to rewatch it, um, I would be picking up more of the like, I mean, you're saying like all the lines that you like and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely feels like like I liked it. Um, and it feels like a movie that the more you rewatch it, the more you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. But like the the scene where that like he's talking about like the moon, like how the guy brought the moon to him. And yeah, he like looks he's talking to his wife about it like, you know. I thought it was cool, like I like it was weird, um but I I was confused by it in a way that like um now that I know how everything, and now now that I know like what the movie is, I feel like if I were to rewatch it, I would be able to appreciate that scene and then a lot of other scenes like it more <laughs> and get more enjoyment out of it. But yeah, so the first time around like I did really like it. I think it's a weird movie, like it's very different. Um I can't think of like I really can't think of another movie that yeah. has that approach to.
2: That's what a lot th- of the reviews say. Said for yeah. at the time, that the, the tone is like very. I'm trying. To, I wrote down a piece of Ebert's review. Um, oh yeah,
1: I read that review. It was. Re- he he really said,
2: he couldn't exactly explain why Moonstruck feels so singularly captivating. The most enchanting quality about Moonstruck is the hardest to describe, and that's the movie's tone. Re, uh, reviews of the movie tend to make it sound like a madcap ethnic comedy and that it is, but there is something more here, a certain bittersweet yearning that comes from, comes across as ineffably romantic and a certain magical quality that is reflected in the film's title he wrote. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I liked it, but I still, I still feel like a little like out of my league talking about it. Cause I like for so much of the movie, I was like, what is this? like, what is going on in this movie? You should
2: watch it, um, watch it again with Sarah.
0: We watched it. She watched it with me on yeah. Thursday.
2: That's um, so good. I also just like, I watch it and I feel like, I think it, I think last night at least in particular, it like, cause I just wanted to like sob afterward and it, I think it like devastates me, like both because like, God, this is such a great, beautiful, sweet movie, but then also like, especially, and reading the script, like, God, what am I doing with my life? Like I feel like like Keats looking at the Elgin Marbles or whatever. I'm just like, why can't I? <laughs> How can I should write something that's good and I never will be able to? Like what the? It's so freaking good. Ugh, I love it. I really. Another
0: thing I liked about it was uh like the setting. Like it felt. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like like a Hollywood, it didn't feel like they had done a lot to make it feel like a storybook, but like something, somehow like Mm -hmm. everything, every setting sort of had like a glow to it. Like, and I think it's partially the characters are so warm, Mm -hmm. uh, even though they're not, they're like sort of like rude to each other.
2: I know. I wrote that too. It's like, it's feels grounded and real and not like, like not as say like, Fairy tale New York, as like when Harry met Sally is, right. or, and certainly as You've Got Mail is, which is like right. that's no one's, that's I love it, but that's I assume not actually New York at all. But like there's like the the liquor store that she goes that that she her uncle owns is like that's just a place, but it's also like <laughs> amazingly. Cute and sweet, and then his shop obviously, like that could that could, scene could be set in the 13th century in a way, right? But so uh, when
0: I, they I, go back to Sicily, oh,
1: I was just gonna say, go I ahead. also, I also feel like part of it is that they don't make like a big deal out of a lot of the locations, like mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah, I guess it's Norman Jewison in a way.
1: I just, fe- yeah, I just feel like they're he's so zeroed in on the on on the characters, like even just like in how tight the camera is on mm-hmm. things uh-huh. that it doesn't like, I don't, I can't think of any time when it was just like, uh, ah, I'm going to pan through this bread shop. The,
2: the house though, right. except the house, which like,
1: yeah, I could see that when but
2: she, I feel when like she goes to see her father mm-hmm. and to tell her, to tell him she's engaged. Mm-hmm. There's a, actually a lot of shots where it's like the camera stays with the character a little too long Mm -hmm. and I love it and like when she goes home and the house is all dark and her dad is asleep listening to Vicky Carr which is like that's a brilliant introduction to that character that tells me so much about that character that he's listening to it must be him but like asleep in a chair it's amazing and then when she's like gonna get they're like gonna get a drink and he gets up and he walks through the dark dining room and it's just like his back silhouetted as he walks through the dining room and it's like I don't even know why we're seeing this. I don't feel like another director would show me this, but somehow it's like, it adds so much just to watch him walk through this empty dark house. And then like the last shot where the camera pulls away from the table and it's just moving through the house really slowly. Like mm-hmm. that made me cry like more than anything else in the movie for some reason. Like it's, I, and I can't explain why, but it's like the way that he treats that house. But you're right, like the bread shop, like you don't. There, the movie's not like proud of the bread sh- of the bread shop set or something.
1: The, it's it's the not IM- like look
2: how cool this set is.
1: <laughs> the IMDb trivia is super cool. Is super proud of the bread shop. Like that bread shop is in every single. It, it, it's it was like a real working bread shop, and the owner wouldn't shut it down like it's it's built into like the making of lore of the movie but yeah just all that to say like yeah the director just treats it like another thing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Norman Jewison has a very what an amazing strange it's it's he's been a part of so many like iconic things that are so different. Like mm-hmm. this this which is like I think maybe the best directed movie I've ever seen.
1: So does he. <laughs> he thinks that, too. This is, his, this is his favorite movie that he's made. Great. Yeah.
2: But then also, In the Heat of the Night, the original mm-hmm. Thomas Crown Affair, mm-hmm. Fiddler on a Roof, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Rollerball. Like, what? And it's oh. like... What?
0: Rollerball? Yes. yes. <laughs> That's crazy.
2: <laughs> but, like, with people... Isn't that crazy? And Jesus Christ crazy. Superstar, which is like... Jesus Christ Superstar could not be more different from... like it's hard for me to understand directors who aren't like, like so many, I feel like the way we look at film right now anyway is like, Oh, I, I know this is a Martin Scorsese movie by looking at it. I know this is a JJ Abrams movie. I know this is a Christopher Nolan movie. And like Mm -hmm. you could watch all if you watched like those six movies, like you would never Put together that they were done by the same man, but they're Race. all like they all have their place in in popular culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Rollerball is great. I just got to throw that in. Love that movie.
2: I think this and in the heat of the night, cinema, the cinematography. There's a certain similarity to it in that I remember on the unspooled podcast when they talked about in the heat of the night, and they talked about how like the cinematography was unremarkable and like there's nothing really. What? great about the shots and I'm like yes and that was maybe what made me stop listening to that podcast I was like what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about yeah but, it, that's but it has a similar thing where it's like it's subtle it's not like beating you in the face with like look how cool this movie looks but it, it 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 feels like naturalistic in a way but also like heightened it's that weird combo that I think this movie also has where like he's shooting normal things and it's not like <sighs> He's not making like the ordinary look like super cinematic, but it is still very just like lovely and like perfectly (laughs) done. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's weird. He's, does he
0: use like, does he have like common crew or a cinematographer that he uses a lot? I don't
1: know. That's a good question. I actually don't know. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know the the how the camera moves it it all and, and it how it moves how the how the dialogue like it all kind of just works together in a really uh in this two really... different guys
2: for those two movies anyway sorry oh cool
1: okay no no that's fine um
0: what was i going to say well while we're while you guys are looking that up i was going to something i was going to mention earlier uh uh-huh. um, that i think still plays into what we're talking about was there's the scene where um, the main fella has gone back to Italy to visit mm-hmm. his mom. And yeah. like, I mean, I couldn't, I, I don't know, maybe I just haven't seen enough movies about Italy, but like it remi- reminded me of like the Godfather, which is, mm-hmm. you know, this whole big epic about like kind of the immigrant experience in America and all this type of thing. And like um, I almost felt like that scene in Italy, something about that, it felt like that's like, where they all have their like that's like actual home Mm -hmm. and then this place Mm -hmm. where they are in New York is like this sort of place that they're all not as attached to and it's not like Cher like Cher's character isn't like she's not going back to Italy or like Mm -hmm. talking about like the old country or something like that but like it made it gave uh, gosh I don't know I think maybe because that was just a serious scene that felt like the real place. And then New York felt like not like an exaggerated storybook or anything silly, but just like sort of this place where they were, where all of this kind of silly or romantic or whatever kind of stuff was happening. And then like things like the moon made it feel more like heightened. And then also just the way, like when they go to the opera, how beautiful, like everything there, like, you know, they're clearly like in love with that building, like the way that they're moving Mm -hmm. through it and filming it um and the house like it's just like but also the house like even though we know like generations have lived here and stuff like that like um i don't know it still felt like i don't know they weren't super attached to it and i guess maybe that's because like when she's at the table with her mom her mom's like oh we'll sell the house if you're not gonna take the house we'll sell the house Mm -hmm. or if you're not gonna live here so i don't know i don't know if that there was anything to that but it all just had this sort of like like, New York was, like, the place where they were going to, like... That, that I don't know. That's where they live, but it's sort of, like, the temporary place. And it felt like this other place was what they were more attached to or something. And, I mean, it, that's it def- all...
2: It definitely feels like there's a sense that the magic and drama is coming from these people. Like, yeah. <laughs> they are dramatic. They are... Like, the way that they look at everything makes it like and i mean i guess that is like the ethnic comedy piece of this is like they're all italian right. they're crazy but mm-hmm. like but they um like nick <laughs> oh god the movie's so funny like i don't know how to talk without like like reading like it's the lines are so but like the way that he the way that everyone thinks about luck and you know bad luck and mm-hmm. and all that stuff is like what makes it that's i think what's driving the feel of magic is like the the stuff the what they're putting on everything and how they're interpreting everything and how yeah. they talk and it's so oh it's so good
0: we should, well yeah and like nicolas cage feels like he should be a fully ridiculous character and he's a funny character in this mm-hmm. but like um, I mean I like Andrew was saying like he fully believes uh, when Nick Cage is like I love you it, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like like a cartoon in a movie it doesn't seem like a cartoonish character in this otherwise grounded movie but it's like he you know feels like one of the gang like uh, mm-hmm. but still like that, not real
2: I think that's the most amazing thing about the movie is like there. well there's two things I mean Cher and Nicolas Cage and also by the way Cher is the one who fought for them to cast Nicolas Cage um, hmm, in the role. Yeah, they
1: wanted Peter Gag- Gallagher, right?
2: <laughs> Can you fucking imagine?
1: Uh, no, I'd jump off a bridge. It's insane. <laughs>
2: that is horrible. Um, also, I mean, no disrespect to Peter Gallagher, who seems like a nice man, but. God. Yeah,
1: and also, he's. Nicolas Cage is 18 years younger than her, which is like. Wow. Like, that's crazy. That's just weird to me to. Th- yeah. Not that that's. I mean, yeah. Even in reality, it's like, oh, you notice when, some, when, a, when, a, when, uh, a, a, some like a somebody is that much older than their significant mm-hmm. other. But for it to be a woman and in a movie, is insane. and in a
2: movie where you still absolutely one hundred percent buy, like, oh yeah, they're they love each other. <laughs>
1: well and and like and like watching the movie you're never like "Ah, he looks like he's 24 and she looks like she's 41 or whatever
2: they seem like soulmates i think when they meet and when they go to his apartment it's like oh yeah these two people obviously belong but i think it's also down to her like i think part of what allows his performance to be so weird and maybe what she knew working with him and why she fought with him is like it's crazy like that she's share but her character is so grounded. She feels so like pragmatic. And it it also, to me, like, and maybe I'm, I'm blinded by my love for Cher, but I think this is one of the best makeover movies because when she is in her like dowdy phase, like it's, even though all it is is like this movie is really a testament to the important of importance of eyebrow shaping, because I think that's basically the number one thing that changed is they, and her eyebrows aren't even thin. They're just a little less bushy. And like, she looks completely different. Like, but like, it doesn't feel like they, she's all that her, like when she has her hair like that and there's a little bit of gray in it and her eyebrows are bushier and she dresses differently. Like to me, like that's not Cher That's like this woman, and she is so like, the character is so, such a realist and kind of like, obviously has kind of given up on them. Like, I mean, she she still has like a magical worldview, I guess, because she talks about her luck all the time. But like, she's not in the same romantic place that many of the other characters are. And it like, somehow that allows him to like be as crazy as he is i think and it still works i just i truly don't know how how it works though like how did this work how did they how did no one tell him like don't do it like that and the reason yeah the reason i I started reading the screenplay like that's what i mean to have the taste to have that to be sitting there in the room just looking at it with like, that's not on a screen when you're watching it. That's him acting and you don't go, could you tone it down a little bit or something? (laughs) Like, why are you? And that's, that's why I looked up the screenplay is because the part where he, where there is apartment and he tosses the table aside and then he stands there and runs his hand through his hair. And it's like simultaneously really funny and goofy and also sexy and romantic and I was like, was that in the screenplay? Like, did he write, like, did John Patrick Shanley, write, writer of Congo as well? Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> for him to, like, do that, like, Marlon Brando and streetcar move. And he didn't. It just, the screenplay <laughs> just says he, like, throws the table. He, like, s- stiff arms the table. And then that
1: is interesting.
2: He took that beat, and it's like, that is that character. <laughs> like like, there's such a thing of like he's deciding to do this to be like uh, anyway that's (laughs) what i was looking up was like how much and also how much did did the words change and like nicholas cage is basically doing the script like verbatim Mm -hmm. his dialogue share mixes it up a little bit more um
1: it's Mm -hmm. it is interesting because like his screen test was apparently really bad uh and that's why the studio didn't want to hire him so i imagine like the you know the people behind green lighting this were probably w- thinking what you were thinking mm-hmm. um you know how is this possibly going like how could this possibly work also he was asked to tone it down which is actually kind of interesting because originally he wanted to he was like uh <laughs> i've read you'd probably read this too yeah so I want to see this. I want to see the dailies of this. Uh, his mm-hmm. perform. He was basing his like his like voice. He was do basing it on the the uh, the Beast from the uh, Cocteau, yeah. uh Beauty and the Beast. Oh, interesting. And, and apparently Norman Jewison started like I don't know. It sounded like he it, it, like the way Nicolas Cage describes it. He's like I started seeing hearing other other names like floating around for the part that I'd already gotten, so I decided to drop it.
2: <laughs> but it but it still is like. I see that in the performance for sure. And it makes sense, like with, with who he's supposed to be, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that is the beast. And it probably another, f- you bring up Rise of Skywalker and what did I compare Rise of Skywalker? I've said Rise of Skywalker is Beauty of the Beast. And then this is also Beauty of the Beast and mm-hmm. I also love this, my mm-hmm. two favorite films, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, and yet I really don't much like the Disney Beauty of the Beast.
0: The cartoon or the the cartoon CGI. What's that? Well,
2: I I don't like that one either. But yeah, the yeah. cartoon I don't really like. Interesting. I'm so interesting. <laughs> but like there there's no bad guy in this movie. Like everyone is sweet. Everyone no. is good. Mm-hmm.
1: Even yeah, like, like there's no Even villain. Like John Mahoney, the setup who's is like, insanely efficient. Who's, who's probably the closest I think to being a bad guy. Uh, like, but they don't they don't spend like really any time on like villainizing him at all like i think i think everything that's bad about john mahoney's character goes out the window as soon as olivia olivia uh dakagas like yeah Yeah, as soon as she laughs at him
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) you know like the way she the way she treats his character it totally informs how we should treat his character and so Mm -hmm. we do
2: Hmm. well yeah like everyone in the movie is kind of doing the same thing Mm -hmm. so (laughs) like yeah uh,
0: yeah, well, I feel like I think that was part of why I was so like on the fence while I was watching it is it feels like it should be much bigger drama that like everybody is kind of two-timing everybody. Yeah, um, I can understand. But that. they're all just kind of like, eh, you know, well, and it, not like in a weird way where they're like, uh, I don't know encouraging of it or anything like they all kind of like, know like, eh, probably shouldn't be, but it's fun. I need a little spice or something. I don't know. So it was weird, but then I like the way it ended so much.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> and I, I don't get the sense like coming out of that ending scene that, that like, that like the conflict didn't have any weight to it, you know?
2: Right. But then, but,
0: but nobody was like crying or screaming at each other. Like they all kind of just like, okay, so this is the way it's going to be. And, but so yeah, like it, it definitely mattered. But it was... Like, in a movie, you expect that to be, like, this big, like... Right. Yeah, it
2: was a very, like... It's just very mature. Like, everybody... Like, yeah, it's even that. though it's, like, silly, they're all kind of silly people in a certain way. They're all also very... I don't know. The movie just loves the characters so much. All yeah. of them. Like, I think the movie has a great love for John Mahoney. Um, for sure. And, like, everyone's... I just don't know how you can get to the, um, the movie is short and you feel like you've so it's all, like all the characters are different. I feel like I understand all of them on a very deep level. <laughs> like like I know very intimate things about like each character, like I, the dad, the mom, John Mahoney, Nicolas Cage, like even, even um Danny Aiello gets like the, very important scene with Olympia Dukakis. Um, and I love that scene. Yeah.
0: Wait, which one is that? Who is that? Where,
2: where she's like, can you tell me why men cheat? And he says, um, he has the speech about Adam and Eve in the Bible. Okay. And then she says, but then why do men need more than one woman? And he says, Um, I think because they fear death. Okay. <laughs> or maybe because they fear death. And she goes, that's it. Thank you. I and love, then she I'm... says- Uh, To uh, the dad, she's like, I just want you to know, yeah, you're gonna die no matter what.
1: (laughs) I love that, too. Thank Uh, you, Rose. (laughs) I love that, too, because she had said that earlier in the movie. um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's why men chase women. So he's just, he's just affirming her. But I love the way, I love the way he delivers that line because it's almost like, it's almost like passed down from God through Dene, a-, a hello to yeah. her. Like it's not, yeah. it doesn't, it almost doesn't feel like, so, like his own original thought. It's just like a sign, right? Because he gives this, he does this whole thing about Adam and Eve, which is just like, I'm rolling my eyes and kind of laughing at him. And then he says this one little profound thing that sort of, <laughs> it feels so much more a part of just like the sort of, uh, magic of the movie than it does necessarily his character specifically. Um, anyway, I was just noting that uh, it's <laughs>
2: such an I, it's such an efficiently set up film too because like in the first five minutes, I think she takes him to the Daddy Aiello to the airport and he says, "I need you to go to my brother. I need you to tell him we're getting married and I need you to get him to come to the wedding." <laughs> and like. We've barely had time with this movie, and I've seen it a bunch, so maybe that plays a role in it. But I feel like the way that that conversation goes, somehow you understand, like, this is a commission. This is, like, the quest. This is the call to action. Like, you must go to my brother. You must. And it's such a small thing, and it's mm-hmm. just between, like, an engaged couple, but it somehow... Every... I mean, part of it is Danny Aiello, for sure, but, like, the way he delivers it is, it like, it really gets across, like, this is important like this is very important and then like having the woman cursing the plane also yeah. Like, yeah. Ha- like it's funny but it also gives you a sense of like okay this is the kind of people these are like this is what this movie is gonna like mm-hmm. everything is extremely important to everyone
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it is weird it is like a weird thing to be like mm-hmm. hey go meet my brother that you've never met and mm-hmm. and and patch up you know our relationship for us um, and I think I think I would have a hard time believing that if like believing that that would happen or anybody would ask that if they hadn't set up Danny so well. Uh, yeah, like there's so many, like just the the whole proposal scene is so great and so funny, and uh, it's just totally it, it totally. Uh, like, primes the audience that you understand her and their relationship and basically all of the men in this movie but Nicolas Cage and probably the grandfather. Um, but, yeah, all that to say, like, I, I just felt like, uh, like, okay, yes, I absolutely believe that this man who has to have, you know, Cher walk him through his own marriage proposal. And also that shot where he ducks out of the ca- out of the camera frame. Mm-hmm. So simple. So funny. Uh, The
2: shot, the shot where um, it's a different scene, but like when after they walk through the dark dining room and she's at the table with her dad and there she's pouring the drink uh and he's just looking, he's watching her pour the drinks with just like a very loving look on his face. And I'm like, and it's just quiet and we're just watching her pour and watching him watch her pour. And I'm like, this is adding so much to this like mm-hmm. especially knowing what go, what you go on to learn about that character it's like i can't dislike this man <laughs> like Mm-mm. after just like seeing how he looks at his dog like it's just the movie has such amazing like sympathy for its for, sure. for its for every single character
1: yeah there's there's some care take- i was even just thinking uh while you were saying that i was thinking about how they introduce uh the fact that he's having an affair and they do kind of do it in this way that is sort of delicate to the audience i think like they 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 do it on this note where you're so enthralled like he's it's right after he's he is
2: the plumbing thing
1: yeah the plumbing thing he's conning Mm -hmm. people into buying like you know (laughs) brass or whatever pipes uh copper copper and it's so i love that scene so much but then mm-hmm. it, and then it just transitions into him telling the story about it and you're sort of like you're so on his side at that point mm-hmm. uh that <laughs> the fact that they're all the camera's also moving to reveal the other woman uh it just kind of it sort of softens the blow right mm-hmm. it like it it's, it's so weird
2: <laughs> and he gives her the bracelet and it's got and he's like birds and stars the birds fly to the stars, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's so, I seriously like there's so many, I love when he's, when he, when they're having the conversation at the dining table and she tells him she's engaged to Danny Aiello and he's mad and he says, when he smiles, I can't see his teeth. What does he hide? <laughs> And then she's she's like he's like, What is that ring? That's a man's ring and she goes, It's temporary. And he says, Everything is temporary. That doesn't excuse nothing. <laughs> it's like so like profound in like every single fucking line. And then when they wake up, they go, Wake up Olympia de and she just goes, Who's dead? Um, and then she sa- and then she says, Do you love him, Loretta? And Cher says, No. And she goes, Good. When you love them, they drive you crazy because they know they can and she's like looking at her husband. So good. Um Ugh, I seriously, there's so many. Um, when she's talking to, Dan, when Danny, Danny Aiello's in Italy and they're having the phone call, and she says, don't stand directly under the sun. You got a hat, use your hat. And he goes, okay, I'll, use, I'll wear my hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, and I can't remember who. I think the dad says, I can't sleep anymore. It's too much like death. <sighs> like, my God. I'm skipping all the I'm skipping all the Nicolas Cage ones. Um, let's see. Oh, I love when Cher I'm says to... to him, "You can't I... see what you are, and I see everything." That's uh, so good.
1: That's really good.
2: Um, and then he says, "What are you What are you doing?" And she says, "I'm telling you your life." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, oh, and then when Olympia Dukakis says, "Old man, you give those dogs another piece of my food, I'm going to kick you till you're dead." <laughs>
0: so good so um on top of congo apparently what else had uh, john patrick shanley what else did he done he
2: wrote so doubt
1: yeah he wrote doubt and then directed oh, the doubt. movie and then he also directed joe versus the volcano oh mm-hmm. i've always wanted
0: to see that i've never seen that one
1: you should watch it uh but it's so it's you i would never in a million years guess that that was the same person
2: yeah from the director of rollerball and the writer of congo <laughs> the best movie of all time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I looked at some at like I just kind of glanced at these people's IMDBs last night, and like even now I'm sh- shocked because it doesn't feel. It just feels like the like it's lightning in a bottle. I think like it's just one of those things where it just all kind of came together. But like even Norman yeah. Jewison, like it's his, very
2: miraculous. His,
1: like his his uh filmography is not spotless like
2: that's what i mean when i was reading this i'm like this (sighs) i honestly feel like this movie is written like it's the greatest novel of our generation like it's so so brilliant the lines and so much of it is there in the screenplay but at the like for instance the funniest line in the movie to me in what i think is probably my favorite scene um, in, like, all of cinema, I'm guessing, is after, I think the, the scene where Johnny, where Ronnie is introduced is, like, one of, like, it's just absolutely perfect. But the funniest line is when the girl <laughs> says the, um, who is, what's her name? He's telling her to go get the, the um the knife and bring him the knife which is so fucking funny oh man um, i love
1: that uh
2: but with a shop girl
1: she was in love with him
2: yeah when yeah. she says this is the most tormented man i have ever known i am in love with this man he doesn't know that i never told him because he can never love anybody since he lost his hand and his girl and that's like exactly as it's written in the screenplay and it's so weird and like but obviously they got it like they understood <laughs> Like, I don't, I, I mean, reading it, it makes me laugh too, but I still feel like it's a leap to go from, like, to like know how to handle that. And I mean, that is like, it's so, I laughed so hard. Like I was wheezing, like when she said it, like it's so, cause I always remember the, no Ronnie, like that part of it is like, <laughs> I won't do it. Like that always makes me laugh, but I forgot. I, I forgot I about the kicker. <laughs> so good. Um, oh my God. Um, Chrissy, that's her, Chrissy, over by the wall, bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie, bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my throat. And Cher's like, maybe I should come back another time. And says, no, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day. Okay, Chrissy, bring me the big knife. I tell you, I won't do it. She won't do it. Do you know about me? And then that one of the girls goes, oh, Mr. Camareri. Like, it's so clear that they're all in love with him. Like, they don't just think that he's crazy. They're like, oh, this is so romantic. Um, and I love his fucking explanation for, like, why he hasn't spoken to his brother in five years. It's so clearly not his brother's fault at all. No. Do you know about, do you know about me? K, nothing is anybody's fault, but things happen. Look, this wood is fake. Five years ago, I was engaged to be married, and Johnny came in here, and he ordered some bread. From me And I thought, OK, some bread. I put the bread in the slicer. My hand got caught because I wasn't paying attention. Well, the slicer chewed off my hand. It's funny because when my fiance-, fiance saw that I was maimed, she left me for another man. And Cher goes, that's the bad blood between you and Johnny. And he goes, that's that's it. And she goes, but that wasn't Johnny's fault. He says, "I don't care. I ain't no freaking monument to justice. I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. You want me to put away my heartbreak and forget? Oh my God, that's like the funniest shit."
0: <laughs> I do. I did think I was like, I'll probably use that line again, like when I'm upset about something. Like I'm not a monument to justice over here.
2: <laughs> I, I say I lost my hand. I lost my bride all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um oh it's like and the comp the the emotions of that scene are like so complex is like i don't he doesn't come off as purely a joke like he's hilarious but also really hot and which is a thing like that's he he at the time it was also considered hot like it's not like like the weird combination of like his body is amazing He's like gorgeous in his weird freaky way. He's playing a fucking lunatic, but also what he's saying is like it is obviously compelling like, wow, like <laughs> a man who talks like this in like 1987, how how strange mm-hmm. um, and like the kind of fairy tale job of like baking bread in a fi- wood fire oven and it's just how they did that i can't i how like it's such a perfect perfect amazing weird scene that i just like i don't know maybe there's a reason that like i'm probably this movie is like the most similar to like fiddler on a roof of like the movies that he's done
0: i've never seen fiddler
2: because that's also just like in fact, it's very similar. Like In Fiddler, people feel like an older married couple sing songs about, like, do you still love me? Like, is this, are we just, like... like?" And it's, you know, an ethnic kind of musical comedy and all the, and, you know, um, maybe that's how got So I thought really of something
0: this. when you were talking. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know um, Nicolas Cage at this point in his career, like, had he had a breakout role or was this his breakout role?
1: No, he'd I been in uh, this... Valley Girl... Valley Girl before this. And also um,
2: Peggy Sue got married, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that was 86. I feel like that's probably how he got this this, or why he was considered for this role because it's sort of similar. In fact, they're all three of them are similar. Peggy Sue got married, Valley Girl, and this, the kind of character he's playing of like an outsider weirdo who's like has to also be very romantic in a way. Uh,
1: That's interesting. That was like his thing that's it that must be i mean because i know his uh he didn't want to do this movie but his agent told him that he like had to Mm -hmm. um and uh he just wanted to make like as he described it just like punk movies basically uh and he does follow this up with vampire's kiss so uh this is just like i guess he read the script and was just like i don't want to do this like romantic stuff or whatever but obviously you know glad that he did interesting
0: so speaking of the actors um was this like Cher's breakout thing, or had she been in Mask before this? Yeah, yeah, masks she'd been in Mask.
2: She'd been in Silkwood. Um Okay. And she, she she was sort of like I think she didn't like put out a record for like ten years because the the strange thing about Cher's career is like right off the bat there was like massive like monumental success with like Sunny and Cher, right, and then. Even while, like, the Sonny and Cher show was on and then the Cher show, like, her records were... She didn't have, like, any successful records in, like, like after Dark Lady. It was a long time. And I actually... Because I saw Cher last February in concert. And so to, like, prep myself for that, I listened to, like, her entire discography. And anyone out there whoever listens to this, listen to bittersweet white light. That's like one of the best records I've ever heard. And it was like a huge flop, like totally did nothing, but it's like amazing. It's like Phil Spector. Well, Phil Spector trained Sonny Bono. Um, so like Sonny Bono is being like very Phil Spectory. The songs are really, anyway, it's super, super fucking good, but like she, and then like, I listened to her, they tried to do before she like figured out 80s share, which was like around the same time of this movie. Um, with, I think, what is it, Heart of Stone or something like that, where, where it had, like, if I could turn back time. Like, it had that, and it had other, like, Michael bolton pen songs that were, like, oh, Cher should be doing power ballads. They were trying stuff, like, what if Cher was New Wave? And it, like, sucks. It's so bad. Like, they tried to do Disco Cher. It didn't really work. Then they tried, like, New Wave Cher. It was really bad. So, like, she her, like, music career was really on hold, and she was really concentrating on acting. And she was, like, she wanted a fucking Oscar. Like like she she was like i need to need to prove that i can do this and she had like meryl streep was like a big champion of hers like they're very good friends and um because they work together and she also made
1: three movies in 1987
2: yeah she was really trying
1: yeah the bulk of her film career is the year 19 like 85 to 87 Mm -hmm. She she did uh well i guess 83 to 87 she did silkwood mask Witches of Eastwick, which is such a weird movie. I Uh, love that
2: movie. It is weird as fuck.
1: Yeah, I like it too. Um, Suspect and Moonstruck, and then she doesn't do anything until Mermaids. She um, oh,
2: Mermaids is good. And she got really good notices for Mask too. Like she, I think, won at like Cannes or something. I don't know. She got that was um, like a passion project. Yeah, and then and then that she didn't. Like get it, she was pissed, and she didn't get, like Oscar nommed for that or anything. Um,
1: so, so this is the interesting thing about Moonstruck to me. Uh, another an- interesting thing is like it's it's it was such a success. I feel like we don't talk like as like people like we don't talk about it in the same way we talk about other movies that were huge mm-hmm. successes that everybody loved. Um, like it does feel like kind of forgotten in some ways. Um, but uh, it's just interesting to me that like nobody. Like, while they're, like, we're, you know, we're sitting here, and, you know, you're reading all these lines or whatever, and they're so great, and we're laughing, and we're enjoying But it's just funny to me that, like, while they're making this movie, like, they didn't, like, Norman Jewison apparently knew it was going to be good, but, uh, like, Cher thought it was going to be a dud. Uh, mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage didn't want to be in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Olympia Dukakis had no idea, like. Also
2: know. won an Oscar for it.
1: Yep. Uh, wow. Yeah, she was she was a stage actress living in an apartment, and her kid was going through school on credit cards or whatever until she made this movie. And then from that point on, she was able to put all her kids through college. And wow. she's like yeah.
2: 15 years older than Cher.
1: Well, so mm-hmm. aside from the <laughs> script,
0: do we have any other notes, um, like story or any other?
2: Um, I think
1: uh, I would, I just like, I really like how uh, specifically how he, Nicolas Cage, stands out apart from... Danny Aiello, like yeah, he's yeah, he's loud and passionate and kind of crazy. And I I love that whole opera scene where they're both in you know basically in tears watching the opera.
2: And belongs uh, to the subgenre of women watching opera and crime. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I made a list of some movies that feature that. Uh, Birth, Margaret, Pretty Woman, Little Women, kind of Life is Beautiful, Mildred Pierce.
0: I actually I did. I was like I feel like there's a, a thing of like. I've never seen the opera before, like in, in a movie mm-hmm. and then they go to the opera and they're like, eh, whatever. And then they finally like something clicks and I get it. And I've never had that moment with opera. So
2: yeah. um, opera is like the one genre of art that I do not like, but watching this, I was like, I'm going to have to try again. And La Boheme specifically, <laughs> which is what they're watching was the thing that made me go, this is not for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just never understood.
1: But uh, yeah. And, and I like, I like when they're like walking out during intermission or whatever. Uh, and they're in the lobby and he's just casually talking about the giant painting oh, over their heads or whatever so I love funny. That.
2: it's so funny when she says I think it's kind of gaudy and he goes well he was having some fun <laughs> <laughs> but it's That's just
1: like so... okay like just it just adds another dimension like he's yes he's a working class guy or whatever but like mm-hmm. oh he also knows about art and he has his own opinions about things and uh, you know I don't know it
2: was um, mm. I love I love, too, when she, one of my favorite things is when she takes, he takes her coat and he sees the dress for the first time. And he says, wow, thank you. And then (laughs) she's like, for what? And he says, I don't know. For your hair, for the dress, for the, for your beautiful dress. That is a just saying for your beautiful dress. It's like, it's strange because it kind of defies you're not supposed to say that to uh, like the rules tell you like, don't like when you compliment a woman's beauty, don't say like your makeup looks great or your dress looks great. Just say you look great. But Mm -hmm. like, I love that he acknowledges the work. Like he, he is acknowledging that she did this for this date. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so sweet. It's so, and, and as, and he's clearly like a man who, he's so as appreciative of like aesthetic artistic choice, like, you know, like he, I think he probably really likes that she made herself look a certain way to go to the opera. That feels like his kind of thing <laughs> to do. It's so great.
0: Um. So I didn't have anything else that I had noted about the film other than um, I had mentioned earlier, how it uh had like the tone was a lot different than what i expect from a romantic mm-hmm. comedy for but sure. also like the uh uh the characters i guess maybe nicolas cage excluded but they're all so much older than you usually see in that yeah. and like but it it also didn't feel like here's one for the old folks like it just it yeah. felt like anybody can find their way into this
2: yeah uh, it like it thriller. didn't feel like my big fat greek wedding it didn't feel like middle-aged well, woman gets it okay it is it, definitely it, it, what it, authorized my big fat greek wedding
1: yeah but like the music like the music just like while she's walking down the street and stuff uh there's definitely things in this movie where i'm just like okay i get i definitely get where my big free, uh, big fat greek wedding oh came for from. sure
2: for sure and like it it has also like middle-aged woman gets her groove back is like that's a whole genre but it doesn't fall it it doesn't feel like a part of the same tackiness, or like, no, like they're so they're such a self-aware. Like big fat my big fat Greek wedding, it you never don't feel like you're watching a. That's mo- it. Just I feel like I see someone standing there, like saying this is, and here's a funny thing about Greek people. And like, yeah, here, you, this woman you, is getting a makeover and you, like,
1: sh- you're, you're never not aware that you're watching a movie with Joey Fatone in it, <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like okay. it feels so much more classic. It doesn't, fe- it doesn't, I guess it doesn't like, like, yeah, Cher is 37 and yeah, she's like a widow, but mm-hmm. you also, I think feel like she's looks like, she shouldn't have gray hair yet. Like she doesn't seem, she seems like she's acting a little too old in a way, like Mm -hmm. for the amount of life that she's lived, like her husband died immediately. So she's just like, she hasn't had much like romance in her life. And it's was, she was, she's definitely too young to give up on it. And that's like the scene with Cosmo and his, or not Cosmo with, um, the brother the brother and his wife where she says standing there in that light you could be 25 years old um mm. like th- they st- like all of the couples like there there's way older couples in the movie than than Sharon and Nicolas Cage and they mm-hmm. also like still have like a lot of romance in their lives mm-hmm. um but but without it feeling like um It's complicated or something (laughs) right like like they're just people they're not a they're not a stock kind of person like this is for the olds yeah Um,
0: yeah and i like that quite a bit
1: i
2: I love um how many times nicholas cage says like get in my bed like the way he talks about his bed, he says yeah. that in two different speeches, he tells her, "Get in my bed." And then when he picks her up, he says, and she's like, "Where are we going?" And she says, "He says to the bed." <sighs> <laughs> and that was one line that was changed a little bit. Um, he's sh- there was more. S- the screenplay version of the talk that they have outside of his apartment was a little bit worse really? than what is in the movie. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. It's 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 better because God that is that is a really really good speech. I love when he says, "I don't care if I burn in hell. I don't care if you burn in hell." Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. The past and the future is a joke to me now. And just and like what does he say about like that love love ruins everything? <laughs> like love yeah. doesn't make anything better. Love ru- it's it's so the movie is so freaking deep. Like, cause it's not like what people say, no matter whose mouth it comes out of, like, it's also true. Like Nicholas Cage is trying to convince her to come upstairs and have sex with him, but he's still saying the truth. Like, he still feel like he means what he's saying and it's also accurate. And then like, when, uh, like you mentioned, like the Danny Aiello scene where he's like explaining the Adam and Eve thing. It's like, it's coming out of the mouth of kind of, one of the dumber characters in the film, but it's like, <laughs> and it's also itself like a weird explanation, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like he's not like he's being sincere in what, <laughs> in, in his answer. Like he's trying to answer the question for her.
0: Well, I have gone through my essential notes. Um Kit, Andrew, did you have, Oh, the dog's trapped in the room.
1: He's He'll figure it out.
0: He's fine. He can he can knock. Um, so I guess one other thing: this was nominated for best picture and director. Uh, so Cher won best actress. I gotta help him. Uh, Olympia Dukakis won um, supporting, mm-hmm. and then it won best screenplay. So I Which guess they used like- to call it.
2: There's them. justice in the world, like the Oscars have some meaning, meaning that this won Best Screenplay because that's no, like I the mean, most deserved Oscar and Cher, Very rarely
0: they actually give a good movie, like, yeah, some sort of uh, yeah. accolade. But did, what won Best Picture instead? I, I didn't look it up.
2: Ooh, nineteen eighty-seven. It 18, would be
1: the 88, uh, 80, 88 Oscars.
2: Yeah, I want to yeah. guess. Okay. Driving Miss Daisy is eighty-nine. I think.
1: I'm looking at. I'm looking it up right now.
0: Yeah, because that beat "Do the Right Thing." Yeah, Spike Lee complaining about that.
2: Eighty-eight. And
0: also, is this the same guy that Sal and "Do the Right Thing"?
2: Yes, Danny Aiello. Yes. Okay. Very different character. He's a very. Yeah. I mean, they're both super Italian, I suppose, but.
0: Yeah, when well, at first in in this um, when he popped up, I thought it was Mike Starr, uh, the guy from like Dumb and Dumber. Mm. <laughs> I was like, oh my oh, god, yeah, I didn't yeah, know he yeah. had like a lead role, and then I was well, like, oh no, it's a different guy.
2: <laughs> um. Gosh, okay. I can Is I know it where... the? Is that the year of Rain Man? But not that at that one. But
1: no, no, it's not. Was it mm. Die Hard? No, n- uh, should have been Norman Jewison. Did he
2: even get?
0: He got Best
1: Director nominated. Yeah. Okay. okay. Good. Uh, I can tell you. Okay. Give yeah. me a hint. Uh. Is it a drama? Yeah. T- Tibet. I don't oh, know. Oh, uh, Kundun? No. I don't actually know if this movie is really about Tibet. I don't know. Oh
0: wait, I don't actually know if Kundun is either. Oh, so
2: if anybody out there wants to is it like the field, Killing I mean. Fields? No, nah, I don't know. It's the Last
1: Emperor. Be- best, oh
2: okay. okay. Be- best picture.
1: Best picture. Last Emperor. Wait,
0: is the Last Emperor Scorsese or is that no, no, Antonioni?
1: No, it's uh, I think it's uh. The guy it's one uh, Bert Bertolucci or the guy who, Bertolucci. Yeah, the guy who okay. did the the one with where Marlon Brando rapes that chick. Yeah. Uh, okay. I always mix all those movies up. Yeah, so yeah, but it was the Last Emperor, Broadcast News, Fatal Attraction, Moonstruck and, and Hope and Glory.
2: That's like, that's a I mean to have broadcast news, Fatal Attraction, and Moonstruck nominated mm-hmm. for Best Picture in one year, that is that's the kit year. year of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I think also.
0: I don't think you've seen it, but Hope and Glory is a great film, and I'm probably going to try to roll that. Yes,
2: you recommended too. it to me. Yeah, you it's should really roll good. it in. I've never. Even, now I'm I don't never have to watch any movie unless it's for this podcast. Yeah. That you guys <laughs> recommend. That's,
0: that's sort of the point. We were like telling each other we got to see so many movies. It was like, yeah. let's just make it official. Um. So who won Best Director, Andrew, or do you still have it up?
1: Uh, I do. Prom- uh, uh, best Picture. Sorry, hang on. I got to scroll back up to it. This is not organized very well. Um, directing Last Emperor, Bernardo Bertolucci.
0: Bertolucci, okay, yeah, cool. All right, well then, should we get to our cruise minute? Sounds like Andrew's got a cruise himself.
1: Ooh, that's good. I'm gonna use that sometime. Uh, <laughs> let's see, what do we got?
2: I'm trying you to make think a movie in
1: space. Well, yeah.
2: I was talking about Rain Man. Oh yeah, he's making a movie in space. I mean, whatever that means.
1: It means. Here's what it means. It means for at least some duration of the movie. Tom Cruise and a camera will be in space, and that is enough. Uh, also,
2: I saw a picture of Tom Cruise this week that I've never seen before. That's like the best picture I've ever seen. That's my no. Tom. That's my Cruise minute. Uh,
1: the first, the first, the first hit when I check to see what the news is on him is uh, is a really good click clickbait article that's titled Three Reasons It's Going to Be Super Difficult When Tom Cruise Films a Movie in Space." <laughs> <laughs> Just three. One, the, the, one of the
2: reasons only, there's is only space. three reasons that this is going to be hard. They're not the reasons you might expect.
1: That's right. And, and cinema blend has got the hot scoop on them.
2: Oh my god. Well, now I got to so know good. what the reasons are. Like, how right, stupid right, are the right. reasons?
1: I'll, I'll tell you. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull them up right now. Okay, here we go. Okay, great. Reason one: every shot is more expensive and challenging to capture. <laughs>
2: wait a minute. So you're telling me
1: yeah, man, that totally.
2: shooting a movie in space yeah. is challenging and expensive <laughs> more so than doing it's... it on earth.
0: Is that why they've never done it before?
1: I think so. <laughs> uh, the next two, the next two aren't as uh, like aren't as obvious, but I will say that they are like lame. Like the next one is the international space station is an audio nightmare.
2: That's okay. pretty specific, uh-huh. but um, yeah, have they heard thing. of ADR?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, the, yeah, then the, mo- the then the the article goes on to ask the question: Could they use our ADR? <laughs> <laughs> just no, like, it just I, I, sound like <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the whole time, <laughs> yeah. the in, It's just gonna be like a. It's just gonna be like Tom Cruise, like doing this. It's just gonna be like hello. <laughs> <Tom Cruise>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i've uh, heard that in in outer space the acoustics are so bad that nobody can hear you scream i've it's heard pretty, that too. oh wow
2: yeah i've yeah.
1: heard that too um yeah so the, so, <laughs> so the, after after the article asks, could they use extensive adr it asks will the movie not be dialogue heavy <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah maybe they just don't have any dialogue then yeah. you know you can just listen to fans whooshing the whole time Man, problem solved <laughs> This that is,
0: does away with their reason though like the, or that does away with reason number two.
1: This is an article that is written by a person who read about a paragraph about how movies are made. Um, yeah. uh, getting around the space station's microgravity is slow.
2: Yeah, that's true. that's
1: that that one that one is that, actually true. That's one they're gonna really have to work on. Yeah, imagine yeah.
2: you're operating a steady cam, but like you're in microgravity. <laughs>
1: Exactly, I mean, I'm trying to imagine it, and I honestly can't because it just seems so foreign to me. Uh, yeah, I bet Tom Cruise is doing push-ups in microgravity right now probably
2: he probably already was he probably so already was yeah
1: one
0: one thing that'll actually make this easier, so like his most recent movie had to be postponed because of the uh, the uh, coronavirus. <laughs> Whereas they won't have that risk in space,
1: there won't be coronavirus. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. true.
2: They they didn't they could it on an article about three reasons it will be Beneficial. easier and less expensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it's like <laughs> no disease.
1: I like. I never like think this, about that. I got yeah. this. I got this great. There's this great poll quote uh, on the space station. If you try to leave the floor by pushing your toes to get something on another surface, you'll push so hard on accident that you'll smack your head really hard on the other side. <laughs>
2: Oh no, they better not do the movie then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the insurance companies are never gonna cover this. You,
2: you know how, you know how on earth, like sometimes if you're shooting like a big crowd scene outdoors or, you know, and, and maybe you have extras, maybe you're just kind of like using the people in the crowd and like the mm-hmm. people who are really there. And sometimes a guy might like walk through the frame. Or like do something weird in the background that ruins the shot, and he's like, he's not even the focus in the movie. But like in space, there's not people, so that can't happen.
1: And there you go. And that's I agree. Here's the thing: if any of these, (laughs) if any of these things happen, they're gonna have to cancel the movie. If there's (laughs) microgravity. If the microgravity becomes a problem, if somebody (laughs) bonks their if If somebody bunks their head,
2: tries to (laughs) get some yeah. If Tom Cruise bongs his head, like you movie done. Yeah. Even if he's wearing a space helmet, like that still might hurt.
1: You can't have the world's biggest star have a bonk on their head.
2: I mean, and Tom it's Cruise. True. Tom Cruise does not put up with that shit. Mm-mm. Tom Cruise doesn't risk life and limb for something as, simple, as silly as movies.
1: Tom
0: Cruise does not suffer bonks. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. Andrew has to go. Um, okay. Thank you all for joining us today. Please join us next week.
1: Oh, but Mike, wait! There's the, <laughs> there's something that we have to cover. The audience wants to know what we're gonna watch next week.
0: Thank you so much, Andrew. You're welcome. Uh, please join us next week when we'll be watching Moon, uh, the second film in Andrew's uh, Andrew Moon's Mike and Kit triple feature. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Bye. Over <laughs> and out.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.